Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor John Rasmussen at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Turn our attention now to Romans chapter 14. If you have your journal, go ahead and take it out, or you can find that on page 948 in the Pew Bible. And we will take this from verse 1 to verse 12. Paul writes, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord." So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow before me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to God of himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Uh, Through your word preached today, help us to each grow in our faith and to have a stronger trust in Christ and understanding of what it means to live as his very own. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Peter was excited to join his new church. Uh, He'd been attending this new congregation since he moved to town a few months ago, and his faith had really been growing in leaps and bounds ever since. He'd grown up going to church as a kid. It was pretty normal for him to be in church, but now for the first time in his life, he was really hearing the gospel in its fullness and clarity, and this was liberating for Peter. After he joined the church, he decided to get connected with a life group for young adults. The first time that he was to attend this life group, it was for an end-of-summer barbecue. The invitation was pretty simple. It said, B-Y-O-B. That meant bring your own Bible, 
It also meant bring your own beverage. So Peter showed up to the event, Bible in one hand and a mini cooler in the other. In his cooler, he had a safe beverage choice for somebody committed to following Jesus, Diet Coke. Peter was surprised, he was maybe even taken aback a little bit when he saw that James and John, two of the young guys in the life group, had brought worldly beverages to the life group. Both had beers in hand as they chatted away about the events of the summer. Peter wasn't really sure what to make of this. In his home that he grew up in, alcohol was never present. The idea of somebody drinking beer at a church life group was foreign and even offensive to Peter. In his strict Baptist upbringing, Peter believed that the water that Jesus turned into wine was most certainly grape juice. Peter didn't really know what to make of this. He tried to put the best construction on the beverage choice of his brothers in Christ, but then things went from bad to worse. When James fired up the grill, he decided to light up a cigar. James didn't smoke cigars often, but grilling brats at the end of the summer seemed like a great occasion to do so, and John thought so too. And so he lit up a cigar as well, and the two puffed away without a second thought about it. In fact, they opened up the cigar box and offered one to Peter as well. Of course, as you can imagine, Peter declined. And now, at this point, Peter wasn't really sure if this was the life group for him. He wasn't only uncomfortable, but he was offended. After some awkward conversation and a quick hot dog, he decided to go home early. On the way home, he was judging his brothers in Christ. They were drinking beer. They were smoking cigars. They were listening to secular music at what was supposed to be a serious discipleship event. He came expecting pop Doritos and My Bridge Radio, and what he got was guys doing life together alongside Coors Light, Cohibas, and Coldplay on the radio. In fact, on the way home, Peter wondered if his new friends were even Christians at all. He doubted their conversion. After Peter left, James said to John, what's the deal with Peter? That guy kind of seems uptight. John replied, yeah, it kind of seemed like he was judging us a little bit. You know, I, I think I remember hearing that he was a Baptist before he joined our church. James went on to make a joke about Baptists, which led to a few more less than welcoming comments about Peter. James and John were beginning to feel superior to Peter. The situation in our text today in Romans 14 is not the same as that of Peter, James, and John, but something similar is going on in Romans 14. Paul is dealing with the things that God has never commanded nor forbidden, but that Christians don't always agree on. Or we could call these maybe gray areas, areas where we have to make a judgment call about what's right and what's wrong. In dealing with these gray areas, Paul calls us to a Christ-like humility that does not despise those whose sensitive consciences causes them to refrain from certain things. And likewise, uh, Paul's calling us to a Christ-like humility that does not judge those whose consciences allow them par to partake in certain things. Now, Paul was clear in our reading last week 
that there are certain attitudes and behaviors that are off limits for all Christians of all times. Let's be clear on that. For example, look back with me at chapter 13, verse 13. Paul says from last week, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You'll see there that Paul has some clear boundary lines for Christians. These things are forbidden since they are the opposite of love, which is the rule of the Christian life. But outside of God's clear commandments, there's actually a lot of freedom for us as Christians, and that means there's a lot of gray areas where we experience things that God has neither commanded nor forbidden. And this is where a Christian community can actually get kind of messy because we all come from different backgrounds with different experiences, different personalities, and even different sensitivities of conscience on different matters. This was especially true of the churches that Paul wrote to in Rome. So imagine with me for a minute. What happens when you have a church of Jews and Gentiles who come from a very diverse religious and cultural background? Can you just imagine that there is potential there for tension, offense, and maybe misunderstanding? For example, the Gentiles thought that eating pork was normal. It was the cheapest form of meat. And so guess what the Gentile Christians would bring to the church potluck? Pork. And perhaps even some Jewish Christians did too because they believed, like the Apostle Paul, the words of Jesus that we heard in our gospel reading that all foods are now clean and acceptable through Christ when they're received with thanksgiving. But there were other Christians, likely from a Jewish background, who still felt like eating certain meat forbidden under the old covenant was still disobedience if eaten now. Or they knew that much of the meat that was sold at the local butcher was likely offered as a sacrifice to a pagan idol right before it was sold. Now, some Christians had the strength of conscience that they were able to separate the previous sacrificing of that meat to an idol from their actual eating of it. But there were other Christians who thought that by eating that meat sacrificed to an idol, they were in fact participating in the worship of that false god. And so when these Christians came to the church potluck, they would just stand in the corner and eat carrots and celery so that they wouldn't eat tainted meat. Now, it seems like Paul can just imagine how this is going to play out in Christian community. Much like James and John in our story, the Christians in Rome who had a strong conscience and could eat anything would maybe start to despise those Christians like Peter who had a weaker, more sensitive conscience and so chose to abstain from certain things. They might say, these people are not living in the freedom of the gospel. They need to, they need to read Romans that were justified by grace and not by the law in fact, maybe those Christians think they're better than us because they abstain and we don't. 
And Christians like Peter, who chose to abstain for the sake of their consciences, would maybe start to judge the Christians like James and John, who did not abstain. They might swell up with pride and think, I'm a better Christian. I follow Jesus and make real sacrifices. I am not worldly like others. I take up my cross and I follow Jesus by abstaining. Maybe they're not even real Christians like I am. I want you to notice how Paul handles this potentially divisive, messy situation in the church. First, I want you to notice that Paul doesn't do what we might do. Paul doesn't do the easy thing. And the easy thing would have been for Paul just to decide who's right and call everybody else to fall in line. So Paul doesn't say, hey, you know, you guys with the weak consciences, you know, the truth is that Jesus died and rose again, not only to save you, but so that you can enjoy bacon. So just toughen up, get over it, and eat some bacon. Everybody will be fine. No, Paul doesn't do that. Instead, Paul recognizes that for some Christians, not eating meat and, and observing certain days on the, on the Jewish calendar in their worship is their way of expressing their obedience to Christ. And Paul doesn't want to violate the sacredness of their consciences. Paul also doesn't say to the Christians with the freer consciences, hey, you know, maybe for the sake of unity in the church, you should just go ahead and observe all of those Old Testament laws about foods and festivals and things like that, and that'll just help everybody to get along. No, Paul doesn't do that. Now, in the next chapter, chapter 15, Paul is going to ask the stronger conscience Christians to refrain from publicly exercising their Christian freedom if it's going to cause a weaker conscience Christian to stumble or be offended. So in other words, when you go to the church potluck, like you can eat pork in your own home, but don't bring it to the church potluck if it's gonna cause a division in the church, right? Because Paul wants them to act in love. <clears throat> but as far as what Christians eat or which days are to be observed as holy, Paul says, let your conscience be your guide, not another's. In fact, We'll see next week that Paul actually identifies with the position of those with the freer conscience who can eat anything. And yet, Paul does not impose a rule on other side. Paul's policy on this matter of things neither commanded nor forbidden, or what we might call those gray areas, Paul's policy is not to take sides. Rather, Paul's policy is to pursue the much harder but much more beautiful path the path that Jesus went to the cross and rose again to win for us, and it's the path of Christian love. Paul's policy on this matter is love. And so what does it look like when Christians disagree about things the Scriptures are not clear on? What does it look like for Christians to act in love toward one another? Well, first, Paul says, don't despise Look with me at verse 3. Paul says to those with a stronger conscience, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Then look also with me at the second half of verse 10. Paul uses that word again, despise. He says, or you, why do you despise your brother? 
As Christians, we may not always agree with one another on everything, but we can never despise one another because Jesus Christ despises none of those for whom he died. If somebody has a sensitive conscience that does not allow her to do the same things that you find as normal, that calls for compassion and understanding, not rejection. You see, if James and John were to get to know Peter better, they would find out that Peter's father and grandfather were both alcoholics. And so Peter always saw alcohol as a negative thing. He saw the way that alcohol estranged his grandfather from the family and how it almost ruined his parents' marriage. And so he vowed to never drink. If James and John got to know Peter better, they would also learn that Peter has struggled with some other addictions in his life. And since he is prone to addiction, he has chosen to stay away from any substance that could become an addiction, like smoking. They would also learn that Peter's strict religious upbringing makes it hard sometimes for Peter to really believe that God loves him and accepts him. If James and John were to see Peter through the eyes of Christ, they would not despise this brother. They would welcome him. They would see that when Peter chooses to abstain from alcohol or cigars or secular music, he's doing so out of love and obedience to the Lord. And that love and obedience is accepted, treasured by Jesus Christ, not despised. Second, Paul says, don't judge. Look with me at verse 3 again. This time, the second half of the verse. To those with weaker consciences, Paul says, let not the one who abstains pass judgment. And then look also with me at the first part of verse 10. Paul says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Now, we need to be careful here we need to make sure that we don't misunderstand what Paul is saying. If we see another Christian doing something clearly out of bounds, like those things we heard about in chapter 13, we have a responsibility to make a judgment call on such actions. As a community, we're duty-bound by love, out of love for the eternal salvation of our brother or sister in Christ, to say at times, I'm concerned for you. In fact, not saying something to a Christian who's clearly disobeying the Lord would be unloving. It'd be sort of like not saying anything to the person mindlessly walking out into traffic without paying attention. That would be unloving. But when it comes to things that, that Scripture is not clear about or that Scripture says nothing about, those gray areas, the Christians who take the stricter route cannot judge the less strict Christians as less Christian, or maybe even not Christian. We're called to remember that God has joyfully welcomed us into his family, not by our strict keeping of rules and regulations, but he has welcomed us simply on account of Jesus and faith in his name. And not only that, Paul says that only Jesus gets to be the judge. On the last day, you and I will not get to help Jesus be the judge of another. We alone will stand before God and give an account 
of our actions, not of another's. You see, if Peter would take some time to get to know James and John better, he would see that these less strict brothers with their beer and their cigars and their secular music love the Lord just like Peter does. In fact, they have a theological reason for doing what they do. James and John like good beer and the occasional cigar because they take seriously the rich goodness of God's creation and the even richer goodness of God's grace. They know that they are accepted by Christ not because they abstain from certain good things that God created for our enjoyment, but they know that because they are accepted by grace alone, every part of this creation has been redeemed and so becomes an opportunity to praise and thank and glorify God. If Peter got to know James and John better, he would learn that when it comes to enjoying God's gifts, that John and James actually keep each other accountable so that neither of them enjoys God's gifts to the point of dishonoring God by overindulgence. When James and John enjoy God's creation, they are doing so out of love and obedience to the Lord, an obedience and love that Jesus Christ does not judge as sinful. So to summarize, there are some actions and attitudes that are clearly out of bounds for every Christian of all time. And we ought to study the scriptures carefully so that we know what these boundaries are and so that we can hold each other accountable for those boundaries in love in Christian community. In fact, this is really what I think Paul's getting at in Romans 12 and 13. But here in chapter 14, Paul is helping us to have compassion and understanding for one another when we disagree about certain things that Scripture isn't all that clear on or doesn't address at all. He's calling us to not judge or despise when it comes to Scripture, uh, when it comes to things that somebody might be okay with, that the Lord might say is okay, but that the individual Christian might say, that's not okay for me. <clears throat> for example, Scripture clearly teaches that we should worship God with singing. It says in the Psalms, sing to the Lord a new song. But nowhere in Scripture does it tell us whether we should use historic hymns on an organ or contemporary songs with a worship band. Now, some Christians feel very strongly on other sides and will even divide Christian community over that question. Entire churches have been torn apart over the issue of how you worship God. We could talk about Christian approaches to politics. I suppose that if I were uh, preaching this sermon in 2020, I could tell a story about Peter who wore a mask and James and John who didn't. We could talk about different approaches to the pandemic about which Scripture is not clear, but about which our consciences had different responses. We could talk about the question of whether to send your kids to public school or Lutheran school or to homeschool. We could talk about what is the appropriate age to buy your child a smartphone. We could talk about when is the appropriate time to date and what type of boundaries should be around that relationship. We could talk about what type of media is appropriate for the Christian to consume. We could talk about how much you should pray or read your Bible during the week in between Sundays. 
There are countless examples in which there are hardline boundaries, but there's a lot of gray area where we as Christians have freedom and need to make a judgment call based on conscience, and that will often look different for each of us. But the main thing that we must keep in mind when we consider these questions for ourselves or for others, the main thing we must keep in mind, whether it be enjoying or abstaining, limiting ourselves or having liberty, is that you and I do all things as people who belong to the Lord. Your brother and your sister in Christ does everything that he or she does as one who belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. In conclusion, I want you to look with me at verses 5 through 9. And I want you to notice something that maybe, maybe you picked up on as we read this, but maybe you missed. I didn't notice this until maybe two or three days into studying this. But I want you to notice wherever Paul says, the Lord. In fact, you might want to just underline this. Every time Paul says, the Lord. So Paul says in verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Do you see it? Paul is saying through that repeated uh, mentioning of the Lord, he's saying that every decision that we make in this life as Christians is never made in isolation from the Lord, as if there were some secret corner of our lives that did not belong to Him. We make every decision as those who belong to the Lord, who've been welcomed by Him. And so as we conclude today, I want you to ponder a couple questions, and we don't have time for you to ponder the depths of these questions here in worship, but maybe you want to write them down and ponder them during the week. Uh, the first question is this, is do you have a gray area in your life? Do you have an area in your life where maybe you're kind of struggling in your conscience? Do I do this or do I do that? Now, if you have one of those uh, gray areas in your life where Scripture is not really clear, the one thing you can do is study the Scriptures diligently and carefully so that you can understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, reading an epistle like Romans is an excellent way to do that because Paul will list, here is how we ought to live as Christians, like in chapters 12 and 13. It'd be good for you to have a conversation with other Christians, maybe with your pastor or one of our DCEs, about how do I make a responsible decision about this gray area in life that honors the Lord. In the end, what matters is that you make that decision as one who belongs to the Lord, 
not trying to hold a secret corner of your life away from the Lord as if it was yours and not the Lord's. The second question I want you to think about is more related to Christian community. Is there a Christian in this church that you despise or that maybe you judge? Are you despising or judging that Christian on the basis of something neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture? How would the Lord have you handle that despising or judging of another Christian? Because as Paul said, these things are not love. They're out of bounds. What does it look like for you to look at that particular Christian that you might judge or despise? What does it look like to look at that person as one whom Jesus himself has welcomed? And on the basis of seeing that person differently, what does that invite you to do next? It might mean that you pray for that person. It might mean that you go and have a conversation with that person and you work out the nuances and the details of whatever offense or judgment's going on. But what matters is that first and foremost, you see that person as one who, like you, belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have gathered us together into the body of Christ. You have welcomed us on account of Christ and not through the law. We pray that you would give us consciences that reflect your will for our particular lives so that as we face decisions in this life, we would make those decisions as people who belong to the Lord. And Lord, help us to never despise or judge another Christian as they struggle through the difficulties of this life and the decisions that they must make as believers. Fill us with your spirit and give us grace and compassion for one another, knowing that we have all been welcomed to be the Lord's. In his name we pray. Amen.